Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this chance to be here to worship and to sing your praises. And Lord, we pray this morning now that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we pray that you would change us from the inside out to become the men and women of God that you are calling us to be. So Lord, thank you again so much for who you are in our lives and for what you're doing. And we pray that you would continue this mighty work that you've begun. We thank you and praise you and lift these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our amazing Savior. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here. If you're new to First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale, you're not alone because so am I. This is my first weekend as the lead pastor of the church, and I am ecstatic. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I thank you for all of the kindness and the encouragement and the, the handshakes that I got this morning. Uh, so thank you very much. If you're new here, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here with us, uh, and I can't wait to meet you all and, and get to know you better. Be patient with me. Um, I'm trying to learn the names and connections of over 200 people. Um, so if I forget your name, please show me a little grace as I try to uh, learn everyone and who they are. Now, let's start with opening our Bibles. Take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. So Galatians is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the last uh, third of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You're going to go into Acts and Romans and then 1st and 2nd Corinthians and then you'll get to Galatians. So uh, that's where we're going to be this morning is Galatians chapter 5. Um, we are going to start this morning a brand new series called His Fruit. Um, and when I was going through the process of interviewing and uh, beginning the process of thinking through how I would like to start as the, the pastor of First Southern, uh, I began thinking about what, uh, what I might begin to preach on, what might be the first series or passage that I would focus on. And, and I felt compelled uh, as I prayed through that, that the fruit of the Spirit was a great way to begin. And then, uh, not... A month later, um, I came down and uh, visited for a weekend, and, and Keith and I uh, walked through the buildings. He gave me a, a tour of all the, the facilities on the campus, and as I walked in the uh, worship center doors, I looked up at the stained glass windows and thought, that's probably not a coincidence. Um, so I'm excited for this series. And here, let me explain just briefly why I felt compelled to start with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, I believe, is the cure to all of the works of the flesh that we suffer from. And so you'll see there's a tagline on my, my title slide that says, they say an apple a day. Well, how does that end? An apple a day keeps the doctor away, correct? Well, I feel like uh, if you read Galatians 5 and you read about the works of the Spirit throughout the New Testament, the fruit of the Spirit is the counter, it's the cure for all of the junk that our flesh leads us into. And that's how I want to start my ministry here at Calvary, is saying we're not going to be a church that focuses on condemning. Oh, did I say Calvary? <laughs> it's because I've got a fan base down here that... Uh, We've got a group from Calvary that came to the women's conference yesterday, and I keep looking over at them because they're the familiar faces. Oh, man, this is going to be a long weekend. So, so my ministry at First Southern 
I would like to be the, the pastor at First Southern that is not the hellfire and brimstone pastor. That's not my style. Uh, I'll lean into that ever so often maybe when I kind of step on a soapbox. But I want to be the pastor for First Southern that says, here's where God is leading us and here's how we get there. We need to be aware of the works of the flesh and we're going to read those in a moment. But knowing the works of the flesh does us no good if we don't know how to avoid those works of the flesh. And so let's read this passage. We're in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. And it says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Did you catch that? They are constantly fighting one another. And that's where I get this idea. If we want to avoid the works of the flesh, then we need to lean and live in the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what this has to say. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now stop there for a moment. Isn't the whole point of following Christ to inherit the kingdom of God? That's what we live, is to look forward to the kingdom of God. So how do we do that? Look at the next verse with me, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now stop there. We're going to be talking about, for the next nine weeks, how to cure the works of the flesh and how to live in the fruit of the Spirit that Christ has called us to live in. And today, we're going to start with the first one, which is love. Now, you hear a lot about love today in Christian context. There's a lot of focus on love. And I believe that that focus is warranted. It is deserving. Because the New Testament speaks about love a lot. But love is such a strange thing for us as Americans, as English speakers. So, so let me give you an example. I love a good bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> I love... Tex-Mex food and barbecue, oh, I love it. I love my church. I've been here all of five days, and I love this church. I love my sons. I have a one-year-old and an eight-year-old, and I love them with all of my heart. I love my wife. I love her with everything that I am. And I love my Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you this. I just said the word love 
a lot. But do all those loves mean the same thing? When I say I love a good bacon cheeseburger and I love my Savior Jesus Christ, is that the same love? Do those loves have the same definition? I hope not. (laughs) If my love for a bacon cheeseburger and my love for my Savior are the same, I've got problems. Let's be honest. And it's interesting because the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation, the last third of our our Bible, was written written in the Greek language. And the Greek language actually has six words for our one word, love. Did you know that? Six words. Now, only four of them are used in the Bible. But if you go and read Greek texts, you'll find that there's actually six words that the Greeks used for our one word for love. So let me give you these six words, just to give you a little background of where I'm going with this. So there's first eros, and eros is romantic love, okay? So any kind of love that you feel for a significant other, someone of the the opposite sex, whether you're dating or married or whatever, that's eros love. Now, eros had two subcategories of love. They had uh, ludus, which is playful love, and pragma, which is long-lasting love. Now, isn't that interesting? Let's chase this rabbit for just a minute. Isn't it interesting that the Greeks made a distinction between the love you felt early in a relationship and the love you felt later in a relationship? Isn't that interesting? And if you've been married for any significant amount of time, you know that the love you felt when you first started dating that person is completely different than the love you feel for them now, right? It's different. And look, for, look at the long-lasting The word for long-lasting, pragma, what does that sound like in the English language? Pragmatic. It's that idea that our love as it lasts becomes a very practical, deep love. So, moving on. Then you get to philia, which is actually like a friendship type love. It's the friend that, the, the, the love we feel for a close friend. Um, Philadelphia, the city, is named after this word. It's the city of brotherly love, right? And so this word was the Greek word for the friendship love that we feel. Now, the opposite to our friendship love is the next word, philousia. And that word actually means self-love. It's the love we have for ourselves, and not in a bad way, although it can be bad. Philousia was the love, when you eat something because you're hungry, that's self-love, isn't it? You take care of yourself, you love yourself. The Bible actually addresses this kind of love and says that this can be very good until you love yourself too much. This can go into an extreme. And lastly is the love that we're all familiar with from the Bible, agape. Now agape love is selfless, unconditional love. And agape, when you see the word love in the New Testament, the vast majority of the time that it's used is this word right here, agape. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning, is that agape love. So now take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. So you're just going to go backwards two books. You're in Galatians right now. You're going to go backwards two books. You'll go through 2 Corinthians and then to 1 Corinthians if you're going backwards. And it, verse, chapter 13 is towards the end. So chapter 13, and we're going to begin in verse 4. Now, 
you're probably familiar with this if you've ever attended a wedding because this is the most used wedding passage in America. I don't know about other countries, but this is used very commonly. So 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, here's the question that I really want to think about this morning. Is love an emotion? When we're talking about agape love, is love an emotion or is love an action? The answer is yes. It's both. Love is both an action and emotion, but emotionally, love is unique from every other emotion that you can feel. So if I say that I love my wife and I don't express that love to her, is my love genuine? No. Now, if I stand up here and say that I am ecstatic and I am happy, I could hide that excitement and that happiness from you and it would not change how genuine that happiness is, correct? Let me say, I'm ecstatic right now. I'm excited for what God has for us and what this day means for First Southern. But I could be up here and maybe be sad about something. And I could hide that sadness and it would not change one iota how genuine that sadness is. But love is different. If I say that I love and I hide it, that love is not truly genuine. Because love is both an action and an emotion. Love is an action that has an emotional response. Does that make sense? Love is an action that brings about an emotion from within us. And so, love defines who we are as Christ followers. If you go look at John 13, verse 35, Jesus says, By this all people will, you, will know that you are my followers. If you what? Love one another. New commandment I give you. Love one another. Right? And so there's this idea that Christ imp- uh, it compels us to, to love. And so it's one of the defining factors of being a Christ follower is to love one another. N- Notice here, Christ does not say that you will be known as a Christ follower by how well you know the Bible. Does Christ say that here? No. Does Christ say you will be known as a Christ follower because of how spiritual you are? No, not at all. Some people are just more spiritual-minded than others are. Does he say that uh, if you have more spiritual gifts, that will be how people define you as a Christ follower? No. Christ tells us that it's our love for one another that will be the defining attribute of the follower of Christ. And so that's why love is such a big deal to us as Christians is because he says in John 13, that's what defines us. So love is important. 
So let me give you, I, I, when I preach, I like to have one statement that I want you to walk away from. Um, and so you're going to hear me say, if you don't hear anything this morning, hear this. So here's that statement. If you don't hear anything this morning, hear this one statement. Love values people over preferences. Love values people over preferences. Now you may say, Chad, what do you mean by that though? What, what does it mean to value people over our preferences? Well, if you go back and you go a little, go back into the passage that we're looking at in Galatians 5, you're going to see the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh are all about us. It's all about meeting our desires and our needs. It's not about others. It's not about God. And so when we place others, when we place God as being more important than our own personal preferences, suddenly that's where love begins to evolve and grow in us. And so let me give you some examples. Political stance. We live in a politically charged world, don't we? Uh, you can't go online without seeing some political rant or somebody really hurtfully insulting another person, whether it be someone who has a political stance or it's a politician themselves. It's almost impossible to go online and avoid those things. But let me be totally frank with you. Does Jesus really care that much about politics? Not at all. As a matter of fact, if you go and read about his ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to read a lot about how people tried to push him into political movement. And every time they did that, Jesus would say, you don't have any idea why I'm here, do you? Because the politics were not important to him. The kingdom of God was what was important to Jesus. And so politics doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, it becomes a stepping block, a, a stumbling block for us if we start insulting other people because of their political stance. So let me put a challenge to you right here. If you are a follower of Christ who is called to love others, we all probably need to avoid the hurtful statements and the insults to politicians online, don't we? No matter how bad we think they are and the decisions they make or how corrupt they are, it doesn't matter. They, just as much you and I, are sinners in need of a Savior, right? And by insulting them online, are we doing anything to lead them to Christ? Absolutely not. So it doesn't matter what the political stance is. That is a preference. And when we take that preference and we put it before people, We've just nullified what we're trying to do with Christ. What about this? What about religious beliefs? Oh, well, that person's a Muslim. I don't, need to, I don't have to love them. No, if they're a Muslim or a Hindu or, or something like that, a, 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 some, a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, that's all the more reason to love them, right? Because those are the people who don't know Christ that we need to be drawing in through our love to the salvation that can only be found in Jesus. What about this, though? What about other denominations? Oh, well, that guy's a United Methodist, and so, yeah, we don't mess with him. <laughs> Believe me, I've been involved in many different denominations over the years. 
And everybody, for the vast majority of the denominations I've been involved with, have the same focus to lead people to Jesus Christ. Do we have our differences? Of course. But most of those differences, granted I said most, not all, most of those differences do not determine whether you go to heaven or not, right? And so the fact of the matter is, whatever our personal theological preferences are, really doesn't matter when it comes down to loving others. Love takes priority over those preferences. What about race? This is one that makes me sick to my stomach many times because if you're placing some kind of preference against or for someone because of the color of their skin, you've missed the gospel of Christ completely. Race should have nothing to do with how you look at someone through the eyes of Christ. Because Christ loves everyone no matter what the color of their skin is. What about this? What about the labels that we place on each other? Oh, well, he's a Patriots fan, so yeah, no. You're not really saved unless you cheer for the Arizona Cardinals, right? I just insulted some of you, and now your love is being challenged. The truth of the matter is, is our sports teams, our preferences, the things we like and dislike, none of that stuff really truly matters in the kingdom, does it? And we can have fun with those things and we can laugh and joke, but when we place even those preferences in front of loving people, we've lost sight of the mission of Christ in our own personal lives. But this is not easy, let's be honest. You see, Love looks for ways to bring people together, doesn't it? Love is not about separating people and pushing people away. Love is about bringing people together and including them and making them part of the love of Christ that he has for all of us. But let's be totally honest. The works of the flesh, in other words, our, uh, our thoughts, our sinful emotions, all of those things want to do the opposite of what love wants to do. Our emotions, our heart will betray us all day long. It will turn on us and it will lead us away from the mission that Christ has for us. But love is so much more than an emotion, isn't it? Just like we said, love is more than an emotion. It's an action with an emotional response. And so as a follower of Christ, through the love of Christ, we love others even when our personal emotions don't make us feel like we want to. That means sometimes we're going to have to do something that we may not want to do. We may have to talk to someone or love on someone that we don't really like. But Christ calls us to anyways, doesn't he? Isn't that beautiful? That it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what decisions we made, good or bad. It doesn't matter what kind of life we lived or, or where we came from or what we believe or what we think. Christ loves each and every one of us, doesn't he? Think back at your own life. There are bad decisions that you've made. There's bad decisions that I've made. And those bad decisions have not impacted Christ's love for me. And so we should reflect that love to others. Love is the only cure for the hatred and the pushing away that we feel towards people. Um, Martin Luther King has a beautiful quote. It says this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. 
So imagine for just a moment, you walk into a very dark room, even one flickering candle can make the difference of what you can see in that dark room, right? You know, I many times will pull my phone out of my pocket and turn on the little flashlight that's on it. And if you're in a really dark room, that tiny little light can make all the difference in what you can see. And so, just like what he's saying, he says, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Listen to how the rest of the quote goes. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. So when we feel hatred, when we feel dislike when we feel animosity towards someone because of our preferences the only way to counter that remember an apple a day the only way to cure that hatred or that dislike or whatever it is we may be feeling in our heart the only way to cure that is by love love is the only way to counter the feelings that we sometimes have for others so how do we take care of this Because I've given you the theology, I've given you the Bible passages, we've talked about the idea of love, but how do we practically practice love? Well, many of you may not know, I'm a a certified counselor, a biblical counselor, and so uh, I I sit with people and I talk with them through their issues, uh, couples or individuals, and, and biblically try to help them overcome whatever issue they may be struggling with in their life. Um, And if you came to me, if you sat in my office and said, Chad, I'm struggling right here with this hatred feeling or this strong dislike that I feel towards another person, how do I love them? If you came into my office asking that, I would turn you back to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, the passage we read earlier. If you can practice being patient, you can be practiced being kind if you can practice not being resentful being respectful and not rude if you can practice what first corinthians tells us to do if you live out the actions then there's a result that comes out of that so let's go back to this idea of the fruit of the spirit We've been talking about the works of the flesh, and and many people have this misconception about the fruits of the Spirit being something that we produce in our lives. In reality, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that it's the Holy Spirit that produces that fruit, and the fruit comes through the life that we live because of the Spirit. And it tells us, it encourages us to live in the Spirit instead of in the flesh, So here's the idea. If the concept, if the desire is to live out love with people, but you have a hard time doing that, then go memorize 1 Corinthians 13 and live that day in and day out with the people you're around. Force yourself to be kind. Force yourself to be peaceful. Force yourself to be patient. Force yourself to not be rude. And if you start living those actions out in obedience to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will begin to produce a fruit within you that shows love. He will bring that emotion through the action. I'm not saying that your life is about works and doing things, but we do have to make the effort. And so the fact of the matter is, is that if you struggle in this area, 
Live out 1 Corinthians 13. Make yourself live 1 Corinthians 13 with the people around you. So, who do you need to love today? Here's some practical application. Who's that person that you haven't been particularly loving towards in the past? And maybe you need to make a phone call this afternoon. Maybe it begins with an apology. Maybe it begins with just a kind word to that person. For some of you, it may be a spouse. Don't nudge your person sitting next to you. For some of you, it may be a, one of your children. Maybe a family member. <clears throat> Maybe a coworker that you need to pull aside this next week and say, Hey, I've messed this up. I apologize. Live out your love. Value people over your preferences. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And God, we thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. We thank you for who you are and how you love us. And we thank you that you sent your Spirit, that every single one of us who knows you, who has a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, has the Holy Spirit in their lives. Lord, I thank you that you give us the advocate, the helper of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that each and every one of us would learn to love others, that we would be defined by the love that we show to each other and to the people outside of First Southern. So Lord, help us today to be a people of love that are defined that way, that people will see us and say, that's a loving person. People will look at us and say, I don't know what it is they have, but I want it. So Lord, thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for helping us and walking with us. We lift all these things up to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our loving Savior. Amen.